0: Morning friends. <clears throat> I'm sure you're aware of this, but uh, our culture is a culture of skepticism, right? Especially when it comes to the issues of the faith, of issues pertaining to God, seems to be like there's a constant barrage of assaults against um, the truth that we claim. To claim absolute truth, though, we're inviting trouble, uh, at least in this culture, especially if it's truth concerning God and and His expectations. The minute you say something like, God wants us to, uh, everybody, yeah, okay. So there's, it's difficult at least to have a, a, just a casual conversation about truth if there is such a thing, casual conversation about truth, uh, without being scoffed at or censured, right? As concerning as is the state of our godless culture, the occasion of the short letter of Jude that's before us um, was that false teachers had snuck into the church, and they were teaching false doctrine. And it wasn't just your side peripheral doctrines that people can disagree about and remain believers in the church together, but it was concerning the grace of God. And they were teaching that God's grace permitted any lifestyle of choice. And, and that is, of course, not too unfamiliar with us in our day. Uh, if you wanted to be promiscuous, these teachers were teaching, God's grace would give you the freedom to do so. If you chose whatever vice you wanted and decided to follow that vice, God's grace gave you the freedom to exercise that vice. So in verse 3, Jude tells us exactly why he's writing the letter. If it's open in front of you, you'll see this, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once all delivered to the saints he changed course he was going to write them a nice letter encouraging them about their faith and salvation and instead he says you guys need to fight you need to stand up and fight we have a a dire threat facing us as a church and so he wanted his readers and this would include us by virtue of the fact that this is an inspired text from the Holy Spirit uh, to contend for the faith why well, because the faith is under attack, and it's under attack just like it was in Jude's day. In our modern day of media perfusion and easy access, we can be easily engulfed by those claiming to have insight into God, into the Christian faith, into scripture. Uh, you don't have to spend too much time online to find someone who's gonna support your uh, desire, whatever it is, to live however you want, and still call yourself a Christian. The Internet's full of these type of things. So if you want to justify your actions and thoughts, just spend a little bit of time on the Internet, and you'll find someone to help you with that. So Jude wrote to explain the great importance of fighting for the faith, the faith. Not your subjective faith, that thing that God grants you in order to believe the gospel, but the Christian faith delivered by Christ to the apostles and then transferred to us through their pen. And he want, Jude here is saying, contend for the faith. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 16. Today, we're going to conclude, Lord willing, by looking at verses 17 through 25. So I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open and follow along as I do my best to explain and apply this important truth. The first point I want you to see in these verses of 17 through 23 is that contending for faith requires active participation. Contending for the faith requires active participation. Wearing, I'm sorry to say this, but wearing a Seahawk jersey doesn't make you a Seahawk. (laughs) Doesn't make you part of the team. Doesn't put you on the coaching staff. You're just wearing a jersey. Um, And I know some of you might be confused about that, but wearing a jersey just means you're a fan, a spectator maybe, Uh, not an athlete or a coach on the actual team, the Seahawks. And just as wearing a Seahawk jersey doesn't make you a Seahawk team member, so calling yourself a Christian doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a car. So we need to distinguish between active participation in the faith and versus saying you're a Christian. Jude here is saying part of being an authentic Christian is contending for the faith. So how do we know we're authentically saved, that we're actually in the faith? We go to the scriptures to determine these things. One of the signs that we find in scripture of genuine faith is this this thing that Jude is addressing, contending for the faith that we claim to believe. Let me share with you how Jude says that we can contend for the faith, all right? First of all, he says in verse 17, 18, and 19, to expect to encounter ungodliness. Expect opposition. To holiness, expect to encounter ungodliness. Look at the verses 17, 18, and 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Judas saying that in the last days, and he was viewing himself as in the last days, which was 21 centuries ago, uh, that ungodliness is going to be with us. Now, if it was ungodly in Jude's day, I wonder what he would say about our day. I think the message would not change much. He would say, I told you this. The apostles told you this. We've seen it throughout biblical history. There will always be ungodly people That we need to deal with people who will scoff who will ridicule our faith and so even all the way back to Cain in verse 11 we have had ungodly people influencing or putting pressure on godly people and so we need to always we need to understand that ungodliness will always be with us if we're going to contend for the faith we also need to understand this if we're going to expect to encounter ungodliness, that navigating such, if we're going to navigate the ungodly environment in which we live, uh, it's part of living here in this world. Do you see that? So there's always going to be ungodliness. There always has been ungodliness. So how are we going to navigate it? This is what Jude is helping us. So we shouldn't be, first of all, offended by the ungodliness within this world that we live in, that we see every day. It's what we ought to expect. This is what we tell our children when they're discouraged with something they encounter. Well, they don't know Jesus. This is what we teach them. The apostle Peter said not to be surprised by the trials of persecution from the ungodly. Are you surprised by these things? Peter asks. So those who remain rebels against God haven't been changed by the Holy Spirit, so they're going to act the way their darkness inclines them to act. They're living in the domain of darkness, so they're going to act in that way. They have no reference point to Jesus, so why would they act in such a way that would please him? Paul said that these folks are lost and without hope, without God, in a dark world. So this is what we should expect from them. And it's gonna get messy, isn't it? Living in this environment. And so instead of being offended by the attitudes and behavior of ungodly people, of God's enemies, we should probably be driven to prayer, to pity, to evangelism, because they don't know Jesus. They need him. And we're the ones to bring them to Jesus. Contending for the faith through the act of participation also includes building yourself up in faith. Look at the text in front of you. Verse 20, but you, beloved, you know that you're going to be facing the ungodly, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. How are you going to do that? How are you going to build yourself up in the faith? How are you going to grow in such a way that uh, your actual actually able to navigate the ungodly environment that in which we live. And I want you to notice something in verse 20. We don't see this in the English, but it's obvious in the original language. But you, the word you is plural. And so he's speaking to a group of Christians, which means that we're not only supposed to be concerned about building up our own faith, we are to be concerned with building up of each other's faith. That's Part of what it means to be in the family of God. Build yourself up. You, church, build each other up in the faith, is what Jude was saying. Building up your faith, contending for your faith, is another way to say that, requires that you remain on the path of sanctification. Now, you might be asking, what is that? What's the path of sanctification? It's that path that the Holy Spirit puts you on the moment he converts your soul. The reason that you come to faith is because the Holy Spirit converts you, and when he converts you, he enters your life and places you on a path of sanctification that leads to glory, that leads to Christ-likeness, according to Romans chapter 8. And so building up your faith, contending for the faith, requires that you remain on the path of sanctification. You put yourself in places that God has ordained his people to be. You 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 do things that God has expectations of his people to do. The word translated, built, or the words translated building up is actually one word of the original language, and it is a present active participle. Present active participle, which means it's imperative. Which means this is not an option for Christians. You Christian, if you're an authentic Christian, Are required to build yourself up in the faith it's an imperative it's a command given from the Holy Spirit through the pen of Jude to your heart are you contending for the faith are you building up your faith this idea of building up your faith is a common topic that the New Testament addresses all over the place and it would include things that you've heard about your entire Christian life. Uh, pray, read, attend church, et cetera. But it includes things like understanding doctrine. And how do you begin to understand doctrine? By sitting under biblically sound teaching and preaching. What you're doing right now is building up your faith because you are here. You are here listening to the word of God being exposited to your soul so that you can build up your faith and contend for that which you believe. Listen to what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. He was speaking to the Ephesian elders. He said, and now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, in other words, to God and his scripture, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul commended the elders of Ephesus to know the scriptures so they could build up their congregation to be able to be Christ-like. Church, Sun Valley Church, you want to become like Jesus? Be in the fellowship of the saints when the Bible is being taught. That is what one of the ways you can build up and contend for your faith. We are certainly happy that you attend our Sunday morning worship service. Uh, When you come to Sun Valley Church, you'll hear the Word of God taught verse by verse, like we've been doing through this book of Jude, uh, with the doctrines of our faith explained and applied. That's what we do week after week. This is, in fact, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, the role of pastors and elders, to teach the saints, to build up the saints. And so that is what we do. We also provide another venue where we teach the Word of God, our Sunday seminars, which uh, take place between our two worship services. And we hope and pray that that is something that you take advantage of. Why? Because you're commanded, Christian, to build up your faith. And you need the whole counsel of God to do so. And on Sunday mornings, as unfortunate as it is, uh, especially at the pace we're going through the Bible, we're never going to get to the whole counsel of God. And so it might help in that pursuit to attend our Sunday seminars, to also attend your small group. But this is, this is what Jude is telling us. He said, you need to be building yourself up in the faith if you're going to be contending, if you're going to participate actively. And he gives us some <clears throat> identifying markers. Do you see what they are here in verse 20? But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit praying in the Holy Spirit. In case you're wondering, this isn't a reference to speaking in tongues. It's not that. Jude is referring to praying praying in a way that is consistent with the will of the Holy Spirit. And you might sit there and say, well, how am I supposed to know the will of the Holy Spirit? Let me give you a real basic idea. It's in your hands. It's called the Bible. The will of the Holy Spirit is recorded in Scripture. He is the Divine author behind the pen of human writers to bring to us his will in written form. You don't want to know what God's will is for your marriage? Guess what? It's revealed in Scripture. In fact, you, it even tells you who you should marry. It's revealed in Scripture. Now, you obviously won't find her name or his name, but you'll find the type of person you ought to be marrying. Explained. Identified. And so this is what I'm talking about. One of the ways that Jude wants you to contend for the faith is to build up your faith, including praying in the Holy Spirit, praying the will of the Holy Spirit. This is what he means. And this is a great encouragement, friends, to us, because we have his will in our hands. Now all we have to do is pray it. What does this mean? It means you pray. Actually, pray the Scriptures. Let me give you an example. Ephesians 4:32. I'm going to give you an example of how you can pray the, the Scriptures, the will of the, the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians 4:32, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." We might say, "Father." Help me to be kind to the person in my small group. They really get under my skin. Help me to be kind to them. Help me to be tender-hearted to my neighbor who's obnoxious, as if God doesn't know he or she is. Help me to forgive my spouse. Why? Well, Father, I know you forgave me just as Christ forgave me. So I guess I can forgive them. I can be tender-hearted towards them like you are towards me. That's praying the will of the Holy Spirit. That is what the will of the Holy Spirit is. You are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God forgave you in Christ. You can do this with many scriptures, if not all scriptures. The Psalms, for example are actually prayers that were written to be sung. You can go to many of the New Testament epistles and find Paul's prayers and even the doctrines that Paul teaches and pray them for God's will in your life. Next he says something that is challenging. He says keep within the love of God. Do you see that? If we're going to contend for the faith You need to build yourself up in the faith, you need to pray in the Holy Spirit, and then 21, keep yourself in the love of God. Now, that doesn't sound too Calvinistic, does it? Keep yourself in the love of God as if you can? Well, what does Jude mean here, to keep yourself in the love of God? Well, first of all, it's important that you know that Jude doesn't believe and isn't saying that your performance is what keeps you in the love of God. Some people believe that, that if I attend church regularly, give enough money to the church, do enough kind things to my neighbor, then, and then God will really love me and keep loving me. No. So, why does Jude command us to keep yourselves in the love of God? And he's just simply reiterating this, because in order to contend for the faith or be built up in the faith, we must participate. You must participate. It's not okay to be a spectator in the Christian life, like the residents of Washington, D.C. in the Battle of Bull Run, as I mentioned last week. No, contending is an active verb. To fulfill the command requires participation. That's why Jude said, build yourselves up in the faith keep in the love of God. A popular mantra years ago was, let go and let God. Remember that? Uh, Let go and let God. Just sit back and if God wants something done, he'll he'll figure it out. Um, That was bad doctrine, really bad doctrine. Why? Because all the New Testament speaks of our requirement to participate in the Christian life. Now, to make sure you understand this. We are not to participate. We cannot participate in our justification, that thing that makes you right with God, right? You you can't perform well enough, be good enough to be justified by God. That is something only God can do. Justification is something that only God does for us through Christ. What Jude is talking about, what I'm trying to explain to you is that we do participate in sanctification. Not justification, but sanctification, yes. What's the difference? Justification saves you. Sanctification is simply following Jesus. So God alone justifies, but we read commands like this one, keep yourselves in the love of God all over the New Testament because sanctification requires our participation your participation and how do we participate how do we keep ourselves in the love of God well participating in the love of God means that we remain in the sphere of God's love we remain in the sphere of God's love or the place of his blessing and where is that the words of Jesus might be helpful here in John 15 Let me explain to you what Jude was saying here when he said, Keep in the love of God. Jesus said it in John 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide, keep in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is Jesus speaking. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. Jesus remained in the sphere of the love of his Father by being obedient. We remain in the sphere of God by obeying the commands of Christ. Being obedient. And today's point is by contending for the faith. Being built up in the faith. Friends, how did Jesus say to abide in God's love? Being obedient. Jude did call it a holy faith, after all. If it's a holy faith, it requires the pursuit of holiness, doesn't it? Yes, that's what this is talking about. And again, remember, he's speaking to a plural group, a church of people. In other words, we are not only to keep ourselves in the love of God... But we are to also keep each other in the love of God. How can I help you stay in the love of God? And how can you help each other? Listen to this verse from Hebrews, these two verses from Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. How do we avoid that? Listen to what he says next. It's profound. Exhort one another, brothers, Christian friends. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are in each other's lives. That's how we do it. That's how I help you continue in the love of God. And you help me continue in the love of God. We are in each other's lives. We're close enough to know each other's tendencies, each other's struggles, so that we can exactly do what he says. Exhort one another, hey friend, I've noticed this is all okay. How can I pray for you? We normally don't do that regularly on our own because of our culture or others, other things. And so we have established small groups in our church so that you actually rub shoulders with people, see each other's foibles, and able to help each other, exhort one another, so that the deceitfulness of sin that we all struggle with doesn't lead to hard-heartedness. We keep each other in the realm of God's love. Friends, we must be connected to each other. You cannot be because it doesn't exist, a lone ranger Christian. Not going to happen. If you say, "Ah, I don't don't need a small group, I don't need the church, I don't need Christians, it's just me and Jesus, that won't be for long. You and Jesus doesn't work. Because Jesus saved you to a group of people called the church. We need each other. We need to be connected. We need to help one another remain in the sphere of God's love. Are you doing it? Or you are just doing your own thing and showing up here once a week or once a month, whatever your practice is. And then next, I want you to see what Jude is saying here. Uh, we're, we're talking about uh, the uh, Nat, no, what are we talking about? Building yourself up. Building yourself up in the faith, um, he says first by praying in the Holy Spirit, by keeping within the love of God, and then here thirdly, by anticipating the promise of eternal life. By anticipating the promise of eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God, verse 21 says, awaiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So this is simply Jude saying, anticipate the promised eternal life that is to come. This is also part of what it means to build yourself up in the holy faith. So let me ask you something, Christian friend. What motivates you to remain in the sphere of God's love? Why? Why do we struggle to remain in the sphere of God's love? Why go to all the trouble of remaining in the a faithful, growing Christian. It's, it's much easier just to float downstream with all the other dead fish. Why fight upstream? I mean, why can't I just pray a prayer and then go do my thing and see in heaven? Well, look at verse 24. 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory... You got a pen, underline the next three words with great joy. Friends, we fight upstream <coughs> for joy, eternal joy, <coughs> and then also for reward. Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. Friends, the reason we don't just float downstream, the reason we fight for the faith, the reason we build ourselves up in the faith is for joy and reward. God knows us. We are all pursuing joy and we all like rewards. Right? That's why you fight. Because if there is no fight you get neither joy nor reward. Jesus said in a parable, Matthew 25, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You want a joyful eternity? You want an eternity filled with reward? Do you want a joyful life? Do you want a life filled with reward? Contend for the faith. Be built up in your faith. Help one another as Christian brothers and sisters grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So contending for the faith by active participation also includes, look at verse 22 through 23, showing mercy. Mercy. And have mercy. Now, I could have been completely satisfied without that. Uh, Up to this point, you know, this seems within the realm of reason. And then the Holy Spirit had Jude include and have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. What's Jude saying? Well, he's saying there's three groups of people we're supposed to have mercy on. Those who doubt, those who don't know Christ, and those who struggle with sin. Listen to this. Let's show mercy to weak believers. This is part of what it means to contend for the faith, to be built up in the faith. We're surrounded by weak believers. You may be one of them. If you're a weak believer, do you appreciate the mercy of others? When they're not all over your case, the minute you slip up. The weak believers that Jude is specifically concerned with are those that have been negatively influenced by the enemies of Christ, the false teachers. Many times, young or weak believers become disillusioned because of some false teaching that they heard that the Christian life would be a cakewalk. It would improve their marriage. It would improve their finances make them more handsome Somehow. Their health would be great. Just turn to Jesus. Only to find out that the road of sanctification is a tough road. Disillusionment. So we're to come alongside these weak believers, these weak brothers and sisters, and show mercy. How? By being loving. By being kind. By being forgiving. Show mercy. Jude said, to those who doubt. Next, show mercy to those who don't believe yet. You see that? Verse 23, save others. He's speaking about mercy. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And then thirdly, to others, show mercy with fear. So he's still speaking about showing mercy to those being snatched out of the fire. What's the most merciful thing you can do to an unbelieving neighbor? What's the most loving thing you can do to an unbelieving neighbor? Mow their lawn? No. That's probably not even in the top ten. What's the most merciful thing, loving thing you can do for someone who doesn't know Jesus? Tell them about Jesus. <laughs> right? That's why Jude said, save others. You're not saving them. You're simply the vehicle through which the gospel travels so that they can hear the saving truth of Jesus Christ and his love for them. Friends, We pacify our guilt many times of not sharing the faith by saying that we don't want to be offensive to our neighbors. I don't want to offend. Um, Well, can I say this as kindly as I can? That's baloney. That's baloney. We don't mind offending our neighbors with superficial things like political opinions, uh, the way we dress in our backyard. or lawnmower noise at 7 a.m. It's my yard for Pete's sake. Mind your own business. I mean, so we're not too concerned about offense is what I'm saying. We use the excuse of offense to not share something that's the most important thing to share. Thirdly, Show mercy to those caught in sin. You see this? To others show mercy without fear, hating even the garment, of stain, garment stained by the flesh. Those who are caught in sin, show mercy to them. <clears throat> those that Jude has in mind primarily are those who have swallowed the false teaching. They don't understand the gospel of grace. They believe that God doesn't care about them or their lifestyle. They can live however they want. They've been deceived by Satan or his false teachers about God and his gospel. What are we to do with them? Rebuke them? No, show mercy to them. Show mercy. These people may have even been found in the church. They may believe that Christians... Don't understand a whole lot. They they might believe that those of us who follow Christ wholeheartedly and his word are a little bit naive. Their understanding of God has been tainted by their personal experience. That didn't work for me. Or why is God so evil and cruel? I mean, look what happened to me or my son or my dad. And so their understanding of God has been tainted by their personal experience or by some false teacher misguiding them down a path of error. Whatever it may be, we are supposed to be merciful towards these people. They've been caught in sin and they need our help. They've been misled. They've been blinded by the enemy. Their sin has clouded their thinking. If you're in that place, Do you want someone coming alongside you and rebuking you or showing you mercy? Now let's complete our time here in Jude by looking at the second point, second main point. Contending for the faith requires the unshakable footing of God's eternal plan. Contending for the faith, being built up in the faith, requires the unshakable footing of God's eternal plan. Now, having good footing is critical in many circumstances, as you know. There's a reason field athletes wear cleats, mountain climbers wear crampons, track runners wear spikes. It's the same reason that Roman soldiers wore hobnailed shoes, all these to ensure good footing, to ensure success, not failure. In Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter six, verse 15, Paul's talking about the fight that we're all in as Christians. And he says this in the verse 15, that we are to put on the gospel, the shoes, rather, of the gospel. Paul refers to the gospel as shoes which prepare the Christian soldier for battle. The gospel is what prepares you for battle for contending for the faith. The footing of our Christian life must be certain if we desire success in the spiritual battles that we all face. If you have more failures than victories in your Christian life, check your shoes. Do you have the shoes of the gospel on? Do you understand how the gospel guides through life? If we intend to contend for the faith in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, then we must have the sure footing and clear understanding of the eternal gospel. You can't be foggy about it. So, do you understand the gospel enough to make application to your home life? How does the gospel guide you with your spouse? Or with your children? Or how about at school? How about it? At work. Does the gospel ever cross your mind when you're interacting with your coworkers? It ought to be on your mind all the time because it is God's way of guiding you to contend for the faith. So let's spend just a little bit of time reviewing what the all important gospel is. And I'm going to make this quick. The gospel, which simply means good news, the gospel's good news, is that the wisdom of God made a way for the love of God to redeem rebellious people like you and me and make us children of God without compromising his justice or his holiness. He is able to wipe away our sin without being accused of being unjust. That's the gospel. This is the central message of the Bible. How does God do that? We've been delivered from the penalty of our sin by our loving God, who assessed the penalty of our sin on Jesus Christ, his son. God also continually delivers us from the power of sin, that thing that controls your life before you know Christ. We can actually live holy lives by the power of God that resides in each of us who know Jesus. What this means is that if we embrace God and his gospel, we not only have all of our sins forgiven, but we also have the ability to walk in holiness throughout each and every day. We can be holy. We can live out the holy faith. We can contend for the faith. So this comes with some implications. The gospel does. First implication, We can actually love one another unconditionally. We can actually love one another unconditionally. This means we love each other without conditions. We don't require others to behave as we wish. We can quickly forgive an offense because we ourselves have been forgiven much by God, Ephesians 4.32. That's an implication of the gospel. That goes a long ways towards contending for the faith. Second implication, our self-worth isn't wrapped up in what people think of us, but what God thinks of us. You know, it really doesn't matter what people in the church think of you. What matters is what God thinks of you. And this comes to the forefront when you consider the gospel. This means that we can actually view each other as saved sinners people who need mercy occasionally, who need forgiveness, mutual forgiveness occasionally. This means that we can be honest with each other. Why? Because it doesn't matter what you think of me, or vice versa. And so we can exhort one another daily, as Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 says. We can actually do that. Why? Because it doesn't matter what you think of me. What matters is what God thinks of me. Third implication of the gospel in our fight for the faith, our relationship with God isn't based on fear but on love. Our relationship with God isn't based on fear but on love. Before you come into an understanding of the gospel, you view God as a tyrant, as a killjoy, as a punisher. But the gospel, a true understanding of the gospel clears that up. We can actually delight in God, not fear that he's going to punish us for our sinful mistakes. No. He loves us. Jesus himself told the story of the prodigal son who the father in that story ran to his son when he came back for forgiveness. He didn't chide his son. He didn't rebuke his son. He ran to him and embraced him. This is the God of the gospel. It's based on love, not fear. We have a God that loves us and is eternally committed to us. If there's anyone who is in a position to condemn us for our sin, it's God. But Romans chapter 8 tells us that he is for us, not against us. That his love for us will never end. In spite of our sin and failure. What an implication is this? He's not about to condemn us if, if he died for us. Friends, if we can keep these gospel truths in view, we can contend mightily for the faith. Jude reviews the unshakable footing for contending for the faith, starting in verse 1. Look back there with me. Verse 1, to those who are called, loved, and kept for Jesus, there is the eternal, unshakable footing for contending for the faith. He loves us. His eternal plan begins in eternity past. Before the world began, before you took a breath, before you could do right or wrong, God places his seal of love upon you. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians 1. He, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless, before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Friends, he loves us eternally. So his love is not in question. He calls us. God's eternal plan includes being called by God in time. It starts before time, but he calls us in time. Paul confirms this in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. He says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There is the progression of the Christian life, starting from eternity past going into eternity future. And in the middle, during time, we're called. The reason Jude and Paul discuss the call of God and and do so because it's so extremely encouraging. Your faith is based on the call of God, which is based on the love of God. How do you know if God loves you? He called you. And how do you know if you've been called? You're sitting here believing. <laughs> Friends, he loves us. He calls us. He keeps us. Then Jude says those powerfully encouraging words that God keeps us. He said it in the first verse of Jude and the last verse of Jude. God will keep us. He will protect us. He will guard our faith. He will bring us into eternity. He keeps us eternally secure for the glory of Jesus Christ and for our joy. And then all this according to verses 24 and 25 for his glory and our joy. Let me finish our short Sermon series on Jude by reading these last two verses. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what a God. What a God. Pray with me. God, we are indeed blessed to have a God like you on our side, in our corner, guarantees the perfection of our faith, guarantees all things that you have in store for us, including in this life, joy and reward, and the next, more joy and more reward. Father, we acknowledge that many times we get distracted by the world around us and are overly influenced by these things, and yet we're extremely encouraged to know that you continually draw us to yourself, that you, you bring about our sanctification through the Holy Spirit's presence and activity in each of our lives. Father, for those in this room who may be struggling with discouragement over their Christian life or their relationship with you or their relationship with other believers, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do his work, his mighty work of reminding these weaker brothers and sisters in the room of their dependence on you. Father, you take each of us through these times of uncertainty, these these times of discouragement, to teach us to run to you. And so Father, we want to be a church that that comes around uh, those who might be struggling with discouragement or sin of some kind. We want to be that church that's known to be a merciful group of people who emphasize the love and faithfulness of God who understand the gospel. Help us to be those kind of people. We pray this in the name of our Savior who brought the gospel to us. Amen. Amen.